0: Who'd have thought, six months ago, how different the world would be now? For example, did you know that 1 in 14 people, that's about 7% of people working from home due to COVID-19, say they never wear trousers while at work? That's never. Who'd imagined, at the start of 2020, that a cultural concept such as, we wear trousers to work, would have been thrown to the wind just six months later? Obviously, that's far from the biggest thing that COVID has changed. Our society, in many ways, looks unrecognisable. Things that would have been thought impossible to change have changed due to a catalyst, a tiny virus, but a massive impact. Why am I talking about this? It shows that culture has big expectations that can quickly change without being predictable. Who would have imagined the world we're living in now And things that are seen as immovable, embedded, are gone, different. As Christians, we can assume we are powerless to affect culture. In fact, we can assume the opposite. that culture will negatively affect us. So maybe we hide away from it. That can be by persecution or encouraging us just to compromise our faith for what the world believes. What we should see from these shifts in culture is that that view is wrong. We are not powerless, culture can change. And that's also what we should see from the story of Acts. A culture shift is taking place through the spirit working in the apostles, spreading the gospel. As we look at today's passage, I want us to see that genuine commitment to the gospel should build a community that interacts with and transforms the culture around it. Genuine commitment to the gospel should build a community that interacts with and transforms the culture around it. We're going to look at the passage in three sections, gospel community, gospel commitment, and gospel and culture. I wanna start by drawing your attention to the fairly lengthy journey Paul is taking here. I looked it up and despite COVID restrictions, you can fly from Izmir, which is the nearest sort of big city to where Miletus uh, used to be, um, to Jerusalem where Paul's going, you can do that in about nine hours. And Paul's journey here took a few weeks, um, including one just five day straight journey across the sea from Greece to Syria. Given that, how wonderful must it have been after so long at sea for Paul to arrive in Tyre, as we see in verse four, and meet with the followers of Jesus there. In fact, meeting with believers is a key part of this, uh, the first section of this chapter. He tends to stay for a day, maybe a few days. Uh, he prays with them. We see that in verse 6. It's only time it's specified, but we assume he does it elsewhere. These aren't quick visits. These aren't sort of drop by, say hi, maybe ask for some money. No, these are long visits. He's staying with them. He's having community, probably eating with them, talking long into the night. Well, the thing you've got to remember is that Paul helped plant many of these churches and when he planted them again he didn't stay for a few days he didn't drop in and hold a concert hoping people came to Jesus and move on to the next town he would stay for weeks months years at times often they would be house churches so he would find a person a household a family and start a church there maybe just a couple of people and he's coming back here who knows how long afterwards And finding communities of believers. The churches have grown since he left. There's a genuine care from Paul for each church. He started them, but they're now growing on their own. And he meets other missionaries as well. Um, He meets Philip, who's titled here the Evangelist. What an amazing title. And the first time we've seen him since Acts 8. um, When he was meeting with the Ethiopian eunuch on a chariot. And he, he was taken away. Well, apparently he was taken away to Caesarea and he's now uh, running a church there and been titled the Evangelist. Paul gets great strength in visiting from these believers He encourages them. and They're sharing culture, sharing their experiences and they're praying together. Well, why is this important? It might not seem like it in our day-to-day, as busy as they can be. But crucial to our lives is acknowledging that Jesus is king over them. And there is a tangible pressure when no one around us reflects this belief. And Paul is travelling through a world that's largely ignorant of Jesus. And I think we can relate to that sometimes. There's a pressure when people around us are following different things. When they're not acknowledging that God should be ruler over their lives. When they're not acknowledging that God is the thing that should make them joyful happy. It's the reason they have what they have. So Paul is experiencing this, he's been in this world, and he's enjoying fellowship with people who believe the same thing as him, who believe that Jesus is King. It's a wonderful thing in joining together with people, I'm sure we've all feeling that we're missing that community right now. Let's not forget it exists. Let's yearn to get back to it. And let's make what kind of community we have in the meantime, possible, even if it's via a video link. So we can be with people who acknowledge Jesus. Well, it's great to be in this community, but is it too easy to want to stay in it? Now, that's hard enough to leave at the best of times. The community can feel great. But we see in verse 4 and 12 that this community don't want Paul to leave for another reason. They say that he's going to be persecuted when he leaves. And this persecution is explained in detail in verse 10. A prophet named Agabus arrives and he binds Paul. And he says, this is how you're gonna be taken away in Jerusalem, bound hand and foot. Doesn't suggest good things are gonna happen to Paul when he gets to Jerusalem. And the people are saying, don't go. In one case, they're saying through the spirit, don't go. And does lead us to ask a question. If Paul does go, is he ignoring what the spirit is saying? Is the spirit warning him through Agabus, through these believers, that he shouldn't be going to Jerusalem? Well, commentators don't think so. If Paul was ignoring the spirit, he'd be going against the Jesus that he's preaching. That wouldn't make sense. He's spreading the gospel. Why would he then ignore the spirit in front of people? In fact, people are adding their interpretation. In earlier chapters, Paul has warned of this himself, that he's going to get persecuted when he goes to Jerusalem. He might not get to return to some of the churches he's helped create because he knows what will happen to him. But he's going to do it anyway. And this brings in our second point, that Paul has a genuine commitment to the gospel. And it's a commitment strong enough to leave these communities behind. As we've said, the fact these churches exist is due to Paul's desire to pursue the mission. But his desire to pursue the mission is now going to lead him away from them. He's not ignoring the Spirit. In fact, he is doing this because of the Spirit, through the Spirit. People have added their interpretation because they're worried. They care for Paul. Hearing that he'll be persecuted has upset them. They don't want him to go. They want him to stay with them. It doesn't say it explicitly, but you can imagine that was being thought of. Don't go, Paul. That'll be bad. Stay with us where it's safe. And Paul says, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He says that in verse 13. Have a look. He's willing to die for Jesus because Jesus died for us. And let's not forget, Jesus himself prayed to have the burden of dying taken away from him, All Right? He feared what was gonna happen, but when God said that was going to happen, he went with it. He went to the cross. He went with the same fears that Paul now faces, but he went. Now, could be easy for us to say well jesus is god he knew what was going to happen he knew it's not really going to the cross and dying if he knows he's going to come back to life we have to remember that jesus was fully man all right fully man and fully god and the part of him that was fully man knew pain knew temptation knew fear of death and yet he still went through it He had to have faith in God, the same as we would, to endure persecution. But Jesus also tells us that if we are united with him, if we follow him, we will share not only in his death, but his resurrection. So the same faith Jesus could go to the cross with of resurrection would be the faith that Paul could go to his fate with the faith in resurrection. Now, for us, this dying might not look like physically dying. I do imagine that unless the world changes significantly in this country, many of us will not be asked to die for our faith. So what does it look like? I feel that we're more likely to be character assassinated than physically assassinated. For us dying to Christ is dying to the idea that we control our reputation How we control how we're thought of. How people react to us. It might mean dying to some relationships or friendships that are unhelpful. As we saw in Acts 19, where people were working, making idols to worship. Um, It might mean dying to a job, having to, to quit, leave that job or that profession. It could mean dying to a pastime, a pastime that again could be contrary or disruptive to your faith. Is this death just to prove ourselves? Is it showing off how great how pious we are? No. It has a genuine effect. Firstly, it allows us to live for the right things. To depend on God for our security, for our safety, for our happiness rather than our relationships or our work and it also acts as a witness tells people that i had something important enough in my life to give up this other important thing for if i'm dying to this job or this relationship it should be a witness people might not understand but it should be a witness something is more important and that something is jesus Paul's commitment means that he was going to sacrifice himself for Jesus. That also means the churches must lose him. For my fellow members at Redeemer, the prospect of our members, leaders, or even our pastor leaving us for any reason can seem deeply concerning. If and when that does happen. Yes, we should mourn, we should be upset about it. We should miss people, that's not wrong. We must guard against our desire to have them with us, becoming a problem, becoming something that seeks to inhibit the gospel because of what we want, because we love our own comfort more than the gospel being spread. For the gospel to spread, churches must be prepared to lose influential leaders to mission abroad to planting other churches, um, and to other kingdom work. In fact, there may be times people have to leave our churches, they're taken away. We don't even know what God has planned for them, we can't even see it. But we know that God is working to build his kingdom, and so people moving elsewhere will be part of it. And from Paul's actions, led by the Spirit in this passage, We see that his genuine commitment to the gospel has built a community and it's interacting with the culture around it. How can we learn more about this gospel and how it relates to the culture? We're gonna look at the end of Paul's journey. He gets to Jerusalem and we don't reach the part in this passage where he's in fact bound and taken away. We do see that he has some problems with the Jewish authorities. As we read this, we should take care not to rush to conclusion because we could jump to some conclusions about how Paul handles what turns out to be a delicate cultural dilemma. Firstly, we might be having some déjà vu. Verse 25 says this. We have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. And we've read this before. This was in Acts 15, known as the Council of Jerusalem where a debate between Gentile believers and Jewish believers in Jesus had happened because the Jewish believers wanted the Gentiles to essentially follow Jewish customs, become Jewish. And the Council of Jerusalem had to work out how these Gentile believers should interact with the Jewish believers and work out what they they should be held to in terms of their customs. And Paul was away at this time. Um, But despite the fact he was away, it doesn't stop the Jewish leaders from accusing him Of something else, teaching the Jews who live among Gentiles to turn away from Moses. Which is kind of the opposite of what the Council of Jerusalem did. Um, And obviously this is smearing Paul. We've not seen this in his ministry. We haven't seen him tell anyone this. But this is smearing Paul because of his success in turning Jew and Gentile alike. Bringing them together as Christians. Paul's always been culturally sensitive. When he goes to a Jewish area... He visits the synagogue, he reads scripture and explains Jesus. When he goes to the Greeks, he visits the marketplace, debates philosophers. And guess what? He explains Jesus. He always does what works with the culture around him. What will win people? As he's accused of these things, he again goes with the culture. He sets out to carry out this ritual, these purification rites with these other men, in order to show his position to the Jewish leaders. Now we may be surprised at this. Doesn't Paul emphasize faith over works? Why is he deciding to go through this purification ritual? Paul knows for sure this ritual does not alter his standing with God. Jesus has already accomplished that. He doesn't need it. In fact, it's the Jewish believers who can put ritual barriers between themselves and God. But Paul says to uh, his letter to the Corinthians, one Corinthians nine, verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. That passage continues. It's really worth going finding and reading. One Corinthians nine, starting at verse 20. But hopefully the intention is clear. He understands culture. He works within it where possible and challenges it where appropriate. Um, We can imagine that Paul is culturally compromising, but aren't we sometimes guilty of this? We say faith and not works, and then we go and find a lot of works to do just in case. Could we shy away from parts of our culture that seem not to fit with the gospel? Well, the process of how we interact with culture is known as gospel contextualization. It's a complex word. Um, it comes, uh, I found it in a book by an influential pastor called Tim Keller, who led for a long time a very successful church plant called Redeemer, uh, no nope, coincidence, um, in New York. And he wrote a book called Center Church, which is about the church in the modern city. It's a fantastic book. In it, he talks about a concept of some higher engineers removing a rock. And they do that by drilling some holes in it popping in some dynamite and blowing it up. What's that got to do with the gospel? Well, he says that the drilling and the dynamite work together. Drilling is going in, being part of the culture. Dynamite is disrupting, challenging the culture. If you just go at a rock with a bunch of drills, you'll get a lot of damaged drills and the rock will still be there. If you just chuck dynamite at a rock, you'll make a huge mess and the rock will probably still be there. If you drill into the rock and pop in some dynamite, you will destroy the rock and you can continue building your road. So we need to understand where we are, but not compromise what we know. I'll give you some examples. People drinking, drinking alcohol, might make you uncomfortable, but there are people in bars who need Jesus. You might not know how to talk to a homeless person there are people on the street who need Jesus you may find the conversations in your work are coarse um, or not edifying but guess what you're ideally placed to bring Jesus into your workplace now conversely you might be laughed at or mocked for drinking soft drinks when you are in a bar but Jesus commands us to be sober-minded. doesn't mean sober, but not drunk. And people might require you to accept or even actively affirm things which are contrary to what you read in the Bible. And Jesus says he came to fulfil the law, not destroy it. So there are things that we shouldn't compromise on. But in an age where virtue signalling So-called voluntarism our commonplace, showing how good we are. Showing off on social media, maybe, how good we are. Just being nice people isn't going to cut it. And in fact, that's not what Christians should set out to be, just nice people. Because anyone can do that. Instead, we have to have a robust worldview, centered on the truth of the gospel. And this will allow us, like Paul, to function in the cultures we find ourselves surrounded by. To function, generally thrive, not compromising the gospel, but reflecting it back into the culture. It turns out this is still distinctive. A friend who I've always seen as a good person, on the first time she met Liz, my wife, um, I don't think we were married at the time, um, she remarked to Liz um, whilst I was away that she'd seen me change since becoming uh, more concerned about my faith. That she'd seen me become a better person. Now, I was surprised at this, not because I thought I was amazing to start with, because I hadn't seen a change. It hadn't been visible to me. But she said that she'd seen me change. And it shows that that's a witness. Mm -hmm. People see the way we change, the way the gospel changes us. And we have to live it out honestly. It means that when we engage with social justice ministries, which we should, we should fully and truly engage with them, do the work. We should also fully and truly acknowledge why we're there. We're there because Jesus told us to care for the vulnerable. It means if we engage in environmental issues, which we probably should. But we're doing it because God created the world and put us in charge as stewards of it. When we're asked why we're working hard at our jobs, we refuse to compromise the integrity of our work. We refuse to, I don't know, take a bribe or be corrupt in our jobs. Well, it's because we've been saved for good works. We're reflecting Jesus into that culture. Our culture is littered with shortcuts, with half-truths, inconsistent behavior. Showing consistency and then putting that down to our faith gives little room for genuine criticism of our faith and it reflects Christ, reflects Christ wonderfully into situations as we engage with the culture. Genuine commitment to the gospel should build a community that interacts with and transforms the culture around us. Let's pray.